The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Venture capital, is it uh, private equity? Is it our positive cash flow? Um, I don't know, yeah, probably. Claire Dace. Oh, yes, please. You know, I went on a seminar once, the argument for capitalism. I imagine you might have covered Keynesian theory. The what theory? You know, I think I did. Welcome to episode 72 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that thinks Mary should be responsible for teaching every child in this country about the birds and the bees, but maybe keep any thoughts about womble sexuality to herself. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm impressed. Oh, here we go. It's the first <laughs> thing for everything. How about you? Ugh. Excellent. We haven't had much... Shall we pre <laughs> We haven't had much sun this week, have we? It's been so great. In terms of it, the weather or just life in general? <laughs> well, it's been a kind of crappy week. Both. My back's fucking killing me. I know. You you were all locked up last night. Yep. That was the second time. Be shame. Yesterday I was kind of locked up. It's been oh. better today, but still it's... Yeah, grey, murky weather. We saw some sun today. That was nice. It was nice to see the sun again. There wasn't a huge amount of it. It's pretty cold actually in the house today. Yeah, which is nice. Mm. In what way? <laughs> in what way has it been cold in the house nice? It's it's better than being hot in the house. No, because we try to make the house cold all summer long. Mm. Now it's finally cold and it's nice. Just throw on a sweatshirt and you're fine. I hate this time of year. I love this, this time of year. This is awful. This is the worst time of year. <laughs> It's just pathetic. Just everything's dying and mulchy and horrid and wet. And yeah, I don't yucky. like the horrid and wet bits, but I like it cooling off and being able to throw on a sweater. And I love Halloween. Halloween is my favourite. Mm. Well, one of my favourites. Mm. Halloween and Fourth of July are my two favourite holidays. I think they're my least favourite. <laughs> Can this marriage be saved? Either of them are better than Thanksgiving, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I like Thanksgiving too, don't get me wrong. But I like dressing up Mm. and I like spooky stuff, Mm. you know. And and I like cookouts. I like pig roasts. I love fireworks. I don't typically do that on the 4th of July. I love my country. America. Yeah. Greatest country in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Finland just fucking fainted. <laughs> I almost got through saying that with a straight face. I love my country, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of. The, I'm not one of those Americans that you know thinks it's the greatest country in the world. Because no. I've been to other countries. No, we're, we're too and, near a large city for that to be the case. So. <laughs> and I know. I know that all all countries are great in their own special ways. Absolutely, with notable exceptions. <laughs> 
don't think Somalia's that great. North, well, North Korea's probably not fantastic. Well, no, okay. You got me in North Korea. Somalia, I think, is better than it used to be. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, it was... If if you also listen to the SpongeBob Squarecast, you'll no, know... Nobody does that. It's <laughs> a completely know. different audience. Steve does. Steve listens to both. I don't do- think he listens to this one. Steve listens... Which Steve? English Steve or Scottish Steve? <laughs> English Steve. Oh, yeah. I think he probably listens yeah, to both. English yeah. Steve listens to both, as well as Common Language. Right. He is a mega fan. He's an outlier. <laughs> of the Common Language Network. Um, we'll know that... Our child, our daughter, is uh, in Peter Pan this week, and and uh, she just had her her first performance tonight. A so premiere, yes, very exciting. I haven't spoken to her. How did it go? Ah, uh, she said it went well. She's at Burger King right now. Oh, which is why I was kind of a so, little late getting back. Bethany's mom is bringing her home. Okay, so it was. Utterly pointless you going to pick her up then. Pretty much. Excellent, good. I'm glad, I went... I'm glad you guys communicate so well between I, Well, it, it... Typically, sixth graders aren't invited to the whole traditional Burger King meal, but because Steli's brother is in eighth grade, she got an honorary invite. Oh, well. Apparently. So, she should thank Benny. <laughs> But apparently it went very well. That there weren't an awful lot of people in the audience, but there'll be more tomorrow. Oh, so they hope. Local reporter was there. So Oh, Deb turned up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we a preamble, my dear? Absolutely. Oh, kinda of early on the preamble. Cory News? Cory News. There's a petition on change.org to try and get ITV to change their minds about taking Corey off air from October 9th to October 16th. As of this evening, there are 448 signatures on the petition, but it's probably not going to do That's any not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I'm actually quite looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm actually kind of happy about <laughs> it. I, I'm, I'm glad that this, this petition, because uh, I'll be camping next weekend, and so... We're gonna have. We were. We're gonna have to. This means that we can record early next Wednesday or Thursday. Right, and it doesn't matter because there won't be one. And then the following week, I'm off to Orlando. Right. So if we miss because Monday, you suck. then we only have Wednesday and Thursday to do. Wednesday and Friday to do. Going to Orlando without your wife and children. You seem to think I'm going here for a fucking holiday. <laughs> it's. I just like to give you a hard time because yeah. it's Orlando. Well, everywhere that I go is kind of exotic. It's yeah. I never want to go anywhere. to Las Vegas though. Las Vegas sucks. Uh, my conference destinations have been Seattle, which was lovely. Uh, Atlanta, which was interesting. Yeah, I like Atlanta. And I, I, Seattle would be. I would. I would go with you to Seattle now and take the kids now because we would stay with Rick. San Diego. But Rick wasn't living in Seattle was at fun. the time. I don't think. The company does have the whole uh, uh, Universal Studios for its customer appreciation party on Wednesday from 7.30 to 11.30. So the only people that will be there are interested in human capital management programs. That's going to be fun. And possibly their families that they've snuck in. Mm, Pretty unlikely. Mm. The ticket's ridiculously expensive. I thought they reserved it. 
they have, but if you want to get a plus one, then that's another two hundred and fifty dollars, I think. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> why would why would these grown ups at a conference want to go to Universal Studios? I, I suppose it's not going beers, to be a line. Right. And all the butterbeer you want. Oh, I forgot about the Harry Potter bit. Yeah, that was quite interesting. Yeah, and you may be able to go to the Harry Potter bit that we weren't able to go to. I would have thought Take so, yeah. Take the train and mm-hmm. go to the other side, because we only did the one side. I, I have no interest in doing this on my own, though. You know. <laughs> I'll probably just stay yeah. in the hotel. I'll probably just go to that little Cuban restaurant across the street from a hotel. Yeah. That we went to with my cousin yeah. and stuff. That was nice. And at least you're not going somewhere where the week before there was a mass shooting, so... Like when you went to Las Vegas. Oh, that was fun, yeah. Ugh. I stayed at uh, Mandalay Bay one week after 50 people got killed and 400 people got injured in the largest mass shooting on American soil. <sighs> that was fun. Yeah, yeah, not really. No, it wasn't fun at all. No. <laughs> I don't know how we got here from a petition. <laughs> so anyway, what, what else you got for uh-huh. news? Victoria Ekonoye? our very much missed Angie, will be on the next series of Celebrity X Factor. I bet she's awesome. She'll be singing. As well as that, she will be playing Mistress Nightshade on The Worst Witch on Netflix UK. Oh. How exciting is that? Less exciting than X Factor, I think. She's got a lot going on, and that's fantastic. Well Well done. Well done. Keep it up. I don't know. Did we ever hear her sing on Corey? I don't think so. I don't think so. There's a few people that I haven't heard of on that whole X Factor thing, but... Well, you haven't lived there in almost a decade now. It's so. better than... Uh, what was the other one that's... Oh, these people that are on Strictly at the moment have no idea who most of those people are. Right, except for... Uh, what's her name? Eva. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine Tilsley, she's got through... I was just watching it before you, oh, you well came done. in. She's through week three, so well, well done. Well done, Catherine. You know, we have... Uh, What's his name on the American one this time around? So, who are we to judge? What's his name who used to be Trump's... Oh, Sean Spicer. Yeah. Otherwise known as uh, Melissa McCarthy. (laughs) Melissa McCarthy's from Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) Finally, Paul Brown has been cast to play the long-lost brother of a Corey regular. I'm not going to spoil which one. Mr. Brown has previously had roles on Damned United, Holby City, Hollyoaks, Doctors, and the crime drama A Confession with Martin Freeman and Imelda Stoughton. So that's exciting. Fresh, fresh blood on the show. Coming up. That Corey News? That's Corey News. Our mailbag then. Speaking of Corey actors that went on to do other things, says Canadian Helen. Catherine Kelly, who played Becky on Corrie, went on to do Mr. Selfridge, the show about London's retail empire. Yeah, but that doesn't count because we were talking about going to Hollywood and United States shows, and that's not a United States show. She's just giving us some <laughs> info. Then, Thank you, Canadian f- Helen. First time emailer, long time listener, Kev got in touch. This is one of those FTE, LTL people that Kermode and Mayo get all the time. It wasn't until I listened to your podcast last week that I realised how many of the storylines were if you've been affected by the storyline storylines. <laughs> I'm not exactly against these public service type stories, but maybe there should be a hard limit of, say, three a month. 
We live in troubling times. The world is on fire. Grown men are slagging <laughs> off young Scandinavian women for not wanting everyone to die. I've only got so much empathy left to spread around fictional Mancunian residents, says Kev. And he's not... He, honestly, he's not wrong. I've, I've got to confess... Uh, not really on Wednesday and, and Friday, but on Monday, I just kind of, just kind of half watched the episode, the Corey episodes because it was just, it was too much. There's so much, uh, just one right after the other with very little relief in between. What was I, I can't remember. I just. This is going to be fun going through this because I can't remember what. <laughs> at all what happened on Monday. Well, it was just, you know, more Paul stuff, more... Oh, yeah, there was all stuff. that stuff. Yeah, yeah and it, the Paul stuff got easier later on in the week than it was on Monday. Right. For me personally. Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. Pat Smearer. <clears throat> yes. From the Germs, Nirvana, and Foo Fighters. Correct. His real name is. Do you know it? Uh, I used to know it. George Ruthenberg. Yeah, that sounds about right. Do you know how old he is? Older than older than us. He's like fifty something. He's sixty years old. Pat Smear is sixty years old. <laughs> he is forever in my head. The guy with the bleach blonde hair and the kind of. Uh, reggae designed guitar sitting on right. the stool on Nirvana Unplugged. Yep. And that man is not 60 years old. No. <laughs> when was that? That was what, 93, 94? think about 25 it. 25 years ago. So he was, oh God, he was only 35 when that happened. I don't even want to think about it. Oh God. He's also worked with Belinda Carlyle. Of course he has. And Paul McCartney. Of course he has. Holy shit, well done, Pat Smear. <laughs> Hi, Pat Smear. <laughs> I don't think he listens. Would it be funny if he did? I would love it if Pat Smear listened to this podcast. In fact, I may tag him on the social meds. Just you on the social meds. Me must be. Or somebody pretending to be him will be on it. <laughs> we talked last week about... Uh, Chicks that had died and dudes that had died. Right. And you wanted more dudes that had died. Chicks and dudes. Here are a list of the characters who have died since we started doing this podcast. Okay. Would you rather do the dudes or the chicks first? I don't care. The dudes that have died. We mentioned Aiden, Phelan, right. and Nigel Havers. Right. Three. We forgot. Oh, Rick the Chin. Rick the Chin. <laughs> Hassan Habib. Cormac Truman. Ronan Truman. And John Brooker. Who's who's the Habib one? That's uh, Rana's dad. Rana's Rana's dad didn't die. Yes, he did. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you may recall Rana's there was some dad. problem okay. around about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. And Why Emma's was dad. So that's eight, I, eight dudes. Eight dudes. Yep. But she, they were all, for the most part, either old or evil. You wanted dead dudes, you've got dead dudes. <laughs> yeah, they're all old and evil, though. I want young dudes to die. Chicks that have died mm -hmm. in the last 18 months or so. Yes. Rana. Uh-huh. Steph. Yes. That is all. <laughs> and it's soon to be Sinead. Well, she's not dead yet, so we can't count her yet. Yes, but again, those are all three young, very young women. 
who do it, none of them are old or evil. Aiden wasn't evil. Okay, Aiden is the exception in that list, though. All the other ones, old hey, or evil. dad wasn't even that old. He was kind of our age. He's older. No, no, he's got to be older than no. us. Maybe 10 years. Not, not a chance. <laughs> Suppose Emma is like Nick's age. Right. Okay. So the final score is Dude's 8, Chick's 2. Again from Canadian Helen, Max was diagnosed with ADHD in 2014 when Kylie noticed a change in his behaviour. He was prescribed medication and things got better. Then at one point, Kelly started taking med- Max's ADHD meds to deal uh-huh. with her frustration of looking after Max and Lily, and this resulted in David locking up Max's medication. Okay. Kelly eventually locates Max's dad, Callum, and he becomes her drug dealer. Yes. So that's fun. Fun. And that sounds like corner. And, and, then, and then they completely forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> Until it became relevant again. Right. So there we go. All right. Shall we... A dive in, I'm a dear. I ask, please. Our first storyline tonight is Sexual Abuser in a Coma. Ugh. The Smith song, right? <laughs> was it the Smiths? I thought oh, it was... Uh... Sexual Abuser in a Coma. I thought it was Ween. No. <laughs> on Monday, Paul's asleep on Billy's couch and Billy warns someone not to get her hopes up about the two of them getting back together again because they're not. Paul wakes up and Summer gives They're him... really, really not. ...a bacon butty. Nice. Billy's looking rougher than Paul is, <clears throat> and he's about to start nipping Paul's head about the abuse when Paul points out that this is none of his business anymore. Yeah, Billy's in a robe, and his hair's all must, because mm-hmm. he just woke up. Right. And he's walking around wearing just a robe. Right. He it's thinks he's Hugh Hefner, I guess, but... This is house. Billy and Kel, Billy, Bernie and Kel are discussing animals that have been found in foodstuffs and local restaurants. Okay. Sure. Paul drops in to visit Bernie and Kel, and Bernie offers to get lunch. Paul gives her uh, some money and sends her off to the chippy. And Kel thinks Paul looks ill, but Paul has a few questions and drops a photo of the two of them, him as a fourteen-year-old, onto the table. Paul says that what Kel did was wrong. He was so young. And then it comes out that Billy knows that they were together. Kel asks if he also told Billy that he'd been with other lads before that, or or that he was 14 going on 20. Paul looks confused. And Kel says... 14 going on 20, just... There's so many things that are wrong with that sentence. Because this this is the validation for abusing young women, predominantly, is is this myth that that girls, quote-unquote, mature faster than boys sort of thing. So mm. it just makes my skin crawl hearing that sort of thing. Kel says that this is why they agreed not to talk about it, and Paul admits that he didn't think it was wrong. Kel reminds Paul that he kissed Kel first, and that seems to change Paul's mind, and Kel pressures Paul into telling Billy that this was all a one-way street, that Kel was innocent of any wrongdoing. Yeah, but Kel was the one who went into his bedroom. And he was 14. Mm-hmm. Gross. Yeah. He's good at this. This is what he does. Right. Yeah. It's it, It's so gross, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I don't want to see it. He doesn't want to fuck things up with Bernie. Bernie comes back in with a chippy. And when Kel calls Paul Polly, that's enough to make Paul rush off, saying that he has things that he forgot to take care of. And what he forgot to take care of was... 
getting his rat arsed as quickly as possible because he drops into the rovers and downs his first pint in quick order and then starts working on his number two, but not like that. Summer and Billy are in a corner and Summer doesn't think Paul is handling things too well, but Billy says that he's the last person Paul wants to speak to right now. Despite this, <laughs> because Billy just can't stay away, he goes to speak to Paul at the puggy and encourages Paul to face up to the truth. Paul says the truth was he and Kel loved each other and already quite squiffy, he staggers away. Mm-hmm. And then a really gassed Paul bumps into Kel and Paul accuses him jokingly-ish of trying to cop a feel and an angered Kel drags him down into that dark alley of doom. <laughs> I think it was Mary Tart who said on Twitter that they should really block that alley up. <laughs> Absolutely, because people keep getting beat up in there. Yep, well done, Scott. Quite right. <laughs> in the alley, Kel blames all this on the blame culture of today. <sighs> So, oh, this is political correctness gone God mad. It's, it's, it's Todd Phillips complaining that he can't make comedies anymore. And that's why he made the Joker. He can't. He could never make comedies. What the fuck is he talking about? <sighs> like The Hangover was funny? That was meant to be funny? Apparently, all three of those Hangover movies were supposed to be funny. The third one certainly wasn't meant to be funny. <laughs> and that was the best one of the lot. It was the third one. One and I... two are ex- essentially the same film. Yeah, and this asshole is saying you can't make com- you can't make good comedy anymore when we're living in an era of of fleabag and, and dairy girls and uh Th- the things black that are lady funny. <laughs> sketch show and broad city and, and Russian doll and it's just the list goes on of really good comedies that are out there. I just and yet you still want to go see that movie. What movie? Joker. Oh the trailer looked quite interesting. Fine. I, I, I still haven't seen Rambo, so yeah. I'd rather see Rambo. Absolutely. Although that's apparently pish as well. Well, yes, but we know you know going in, it's going to be kind of pishy. But you go anyway because it's Rambo. Th- this whole uh, political correctness gone mad thing reminds me of. Ah, oh, it was the summer before. Was it the summer before I moved over? Yeah, so twenty eleven. I went for a walk at the Trossachs. Uh-huh. Which, oh, I love which the Trossachs. Which you've been to roundabout Lake, Lake? Roundabout, roundabout Loch Cartran. And love it out there. You know, there's a little bike trail that goes round the, the side of the loch. Right, yeah, and then there's little speakers that'll play uh, um, uh, The Maid in the Mist. So I was just walking on the trail, uh-huh. and this woman and her daughter on bikes went by. Uh-huh. And the daughter said, Mummy, do I really need to wear a helmet? And the mother said, I know, dear. It's political correctness gone mad. She did not. She did. She did. And I felt like saying, you're confusing political (laughs) correctness with health and safety. (laughs) Those two aren't the same thing. But there are a lot of people who are like that. Anything that makes you do something that's fucking political correctness gone mad. Right, yeah. Whatever anybody tells you, no, that's political correctness gone awry. Political correctness, if uh, anything, has stopped people who are gay and black not getting a job because they're gay or a minority or female. Right, yes. So that's probably a good thing. Then. Absolutely. And, <laughs> you know, they only complain about things like can- cancel culture now because all of a sudden white dudes are getting treated slightly <laughs> the way women and minorities have been treated all along. So in the alley, Kel blames all this on blame. Oh, I've said that. Yes, he did. But then Paul tries to <laughs> kiss him. Rant. Paul tries to kiss him and Why? Kel pushes him away. No. It's true, says Paul. 
I'm too old for you, you only like boys. And Paul tries to leave and a scuffle ensues and Paul slugs Kel across the jaw, knocking them out. Then Paul rushes out of the alley and bumps Bravo. into Gemma. Gemma's very keen to sing the praises of Kel who's stumping up the cash for the extension to the house and Paul can't bear to hear it and rushes off, further aggravating Gemma. Then Billy turns up in the rovers and instantly starts bugging Paul again. Paul is still pissed and tells Billy that both he and Kel know what Kel did was wrong, but if Billy wants more information, says Paul, you're going to have to get the drinks in. And Billy reluctantly agrees. And then Chesney comes in to tell Paul that Kel's been beaten up and taken to hospital and then charges Paul to find Gemma. Chess can't do it because of something to do with Joseph. Of course. Plus he just always because of Plus Joseph. he can't just phone because of plot. Right. For fuck's sake, says Paul, and he pushes himself to his feet. <laughs> and but then Billy turns around with drinks and says, which way did he go? <laughs> but then Paul doesn't find Gemma. Gemma finds Paul sitting at the bus shelter. Mm-hmm. Apparently Chess told her after all about Kel. Of course he did. Which doesn't make any sense. No. And she thinks that Paul's lying when he claims that the injuries to his knuckles came from a car door. Paul admits that he slugged him and panicked when Kel banged his head. He says Kel was winding him up and Bernie comes out and it doesn't take her two seconds to start accusing Paul of being guilty. Right, because she's mother of the year. So Bernie and Paul continue to argue, with Paul accusing his mother of never caring what happened to him, and she goads him a bit until he finally admits to clocking Kel, and Bernie immediately starts to call the police. Gemma manages to talk... <laughs> Again, mother of the year. Know, talk Bernie round, but she says she'll never forgive him. Paul, uh, Gemma doesn't know what's going on in his head, and he tells her to consider herself lucky in that respect. <laughs> and Billy goes round to see Paul and asks why he ran away earlier. Paul explains about punching Kel into a coma. It was one punch, why did... This seems to happen Well, it was the far punch, too regularly. and then Kel knocked back and hit the back of his head against the brick wall, and then he fell forward onto the stone, and that smashed his head up a bit more. So it's more than just the one punch. Hmm. And also, Kel is elderly, kind of. Billy tells Paul that he needs to go to the police and Riddle tell bones. him about the abuse, or he will go back to prison. And it's unclear at this point if that's because Billy will grass him up. Because Billy has a habit of grassing people up. I don't think he'd grass him up. On Wednesday then, Gemma confirms that the hospital are going to attempt to get Kel out of the coma this morning. Still have no idea why Paul hit him and Benny reveals that Kel is suddenly the love of her life. Because they've been sure. together for a week. Paul sure. and Billy are at the police station waiting for Paul to be seen. Billy gets a call from one of his parishioners and in spite of moments earlier promising to be there for Paul no matter what... Billy swiftly abandons him. Right, because somebody's dying. Right. So I mean, if he's going to abandon him, at least he had a good he had a good reason. Somebody's dying. A prisoner is yeah, dying. People die all the time. Yeah, but you want your priest with you when you die, yeah? Hmm. Well, some people do. At the hospital, Bernie is frustrated that no one is giving her any information. I'm just happy to see Billy actually doing his job for once. <laughs> the doctor comes out and tells him that Kel had a bleed on the brain. There's no swelling, he's conscious, and initial signs are good, and Bernie is allowed to go see him. And Kel seems to be okay and doesn't have a Jamaican accent. <laughs> which, was, which Gemma's quite pleased that about. That was kind of funny. Then the police interrupt. They have a few questions and Kel sends Bernie and Gemma off to the canteen, which they're quite happy to do. Okay then. Mm-hmm. Benny swears that she didn't grasp Paul up. Then Billy meets Paul in the street and asks how it went. Predictably, it didn't went. Now, see, when the police show up and 
Bernie insists that she's not the one who called them. And we don't know why they're there. I thought Paul had actually talked to the police and that's why they were there. So I was a little disappointed. I didn't think for a minute that Paul had talked to the police. The whole reason for Billy to go was so that Paul didn't talk to the police. Yeah. Still. So Paul couldn't bring himself to do it. And rather than chastise him, Billy understands and gives him a hug, which is quite nice. Absolutely. We don't get to hear the conversation that Kel has with the police, but he claims the police just wanted to know about last night, and Kel blames two scummy pricks who caught him with a sucker punch in the uh, alleyway of doom. Benny says, this is bullshit. She knows it was Paul. Kel doesn't know why Paul hit him. They both had a few drinks, and Benny says that she'll never forgive Paul for this. Yeah, you've said that already, Bernie. Right, yeah. And it takes two to tango there, Bernie. In the pub, Paul has beaten himself up about not, be able, not being able to go through with telling the police. They overhear Chesney tell Johnny that Gemma won't be able to make her shift tonight and Chess throws Paul some daggers. Paul finishes his drink. He's off to the hospital. And so he turns up there and Gemma thinks he has a nerve. But Paul is here to see Gemma. He apologises. He didn't do that to upset her. She wants to know why he belted Kel and he thinks it's complicated and Kel not telling the cops was more about saving Kel rather than saving him. Which is correct. Yep. And in comes Bernie, who drags Paul into Kel's room to sort this out once and for all. Once and for all. Kel isn't happy to see Paul, and Bernie demands to know what the fight was all about. Start talking, you pair of arseholes, she says. And some time has passed, and no one is talking. Bernie again demands to know what was going on, and Kel takes responsibility. He says he came away with some, with some homophobic bullshit that made Paul lose his temper. Kel says he was out of line and apologises. Benny wants Paul to shake his hand and apologise, and Paul very reluctantly agrees. And see, again... It's strange making Paul apologise for this. Right, yeah, (laughs) when Paul wasn't the one who supposedly made a homophobic slur. Right. Right. And also, like, when... Have you been listening to this, Bernie? Have you been listening to any of this? When Kel first wakes up, and... uh, Or when... Not when he first wakes up, but when Bernie and uh, Gemma go back in... And he says, well, I don't know who it was and everything. And th- at first they say, well, we know everything. Paul told us everything. So we know that's wrong. Ah, it was so frustrating because I thought we were just about ready to get a, a confession. But then they start asking him why Paul hit him. And then, of course, now we don't get the confession because now he knows that what, you know, it's not like all those times that people have fooled. Oh, say Chesney into <laughs> confessing things when they say, "Oh no, so and so told me everything." Oh well, let me tell you everything. Right. I thought we were going to get that, and then we didn't. I'm glad we didn't, because that's awful storytelling. Well, yeah, but still, I'd like this to be over. Kel wants a word with Paul on his own, and once again, no one seems to question Kel pushing everyone out of the room. Kel tells Paul that if he breathes a word of this, he's going to go to the cops and get him done for assault, and he'll be back in prison. And nobody will believe him about the other thing. And later, Paul is at the tram stop looking at the timetable. It looks like he's thinking about doing a bunk. Yes. And it looks like he's packed and ready to go when Summer gets off the bus and quickly assesses that Paul is running off. She doesn't want to be the one who tells Billy that he left without saying goodbye. Well done, Summer. Summer was quite good this week. She was good this week. She has, she has really blossomed into a really good she young actor. She fits the character much better now than she did when she started, I think. Yes. She's just... 
And her acting has just really improved yeah. over time. She's found that voice and she's found the delivery. Absolutely. And it is really, really working. So many good young actors on this show. I'm really impressed with pretty much all of them. It's ridiculous how many good child actors are in that show. I know. Seriously. it's. I think it's because they kind of grow up with their characters a little bit, you know, from when they start. So mm-hmm. they really fill that skin. There was something on Twitter I saw earlier of Sophie on her first uh, appearance, or Brooke Vincent's first appearance as <laughs> Sophie. Uh-huh. And she looks like 10 years old. <laughs> well, it's like it's a, a Jack P. Shepard. Mm-hmm. You know, young David is just, it's so funny to see pictures of him when he was younger in that role. Did you see his news this week? Which part? His hair transplant. Oh, Yeah. He announced his hair transplant, he I think did. it had like six months ago, nine months ago, I can't remember which. Mm. He was going pretty thin and it was affecting his mental health and mm-hmm. he got it, got it seen to and it, I can't say that I noticed it from no. like that time ago, but it's looking pretty, yeah. looking pretty decent now. Yeah. Too late for me. <laughs> That's long gone. That, I think you really suit balding. I, um... I, I think I, you're I, lovely. I found more confidence once I got rid of my hair. Because yeah. it just was horrible having it. And I just felt far more comfortable in my own skin once... Absolutely. Once I accepted the fact that I was going bald. You're quite handsome. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Quite handsome. I'll take that. <laughs> okay, fine. Very the, handsome. The oh, no, most no, no. handsomest I'm not, man in I'm the not, world. I'm not taking that if I have to work for it. <laughs> In the community garden, Summer points out that Gemma and the babies are going to need him, and she insists that he goes back with her to Billy's to talk to him. She doesn't give up when it's someone she cares about, she says. Well done, Summer, and Paul seems very touched about this. Absolutely. So Billy gets home to find Summer and Paul, and Summer goes off to listen to her music in the room with her headphones on, she right. says. Right, very loud. <laughs> Paul explains what happened at the hospital. That poor kid's going to have tinnitus before too long. Paul wanted to say something, but Gemma and Ches need the money for the extension so she he can't scupper that his mother hates him and he's going to leave Billy thinks this means Kel will win Paul says he already has oofed yeah that was not good and Billy doesn't think Paul can be driven away from his family if they knew the truth they'd understand he says they care about him as does Billy Paul thinks he's just Billy's project and Billy says Paul is broken and no matter how much Paul pushes him away it's not going to work and that he's not a project, he's a person. Right. None of this is Paul's fault. And Paul breaks down into Billy's arms. Oh, and he says that, was... that he can't do this anymore. Oh, it was so lovely. On Friday, Gemma sees Paul in the street and tells him that Kel is getting out of the hospital in a couple of days and has somehow got a job down south. What, he's been applying for jobs when he's been in a coma in the hospital? I don't know. She invites him round for a farewell tea with uh, Kel and Bernie. Are you actually on an E, says Paul? Gemma thinks they'd uh, shook and made up and Paul is quick to disabuse Gemma of this. Gemma doesn't understand. No fucking kidding, says Paul. And, and back he's home... Not, he's, he's not trying to help her understand either. He really isn't. He's, no. he's doing his damnedest to keep her confused. He's mad at her because she doesn't understand, but he also won't explain to her what's Do you going think on. she should have worked some of this out? It's Gemma. <laughs> And Fair she's enough. pregnant. So back home, Paul is coming off the phone with Baz, a friend from Coventry, who might have a place for him to stay. Billy doesn't think running away will fix this. It might be the worst thing that he can do, in fact. And he tells uh, Billy to speak to Gemma. Not for the first time. Paul tells him to drop it. 
So what does Billy do? Well, he drops by to see Gemma on his own. She's about to head off for yet another scan, so Billy starts talking on Paul's behalf, saying that Paul is leaving and she needs to talk to him, but Gemma says that she's been bitten far too often and has enough on her plate right now, thank you very much, which is kind of true. Yes. Billy wishes her luck with the scan. Then back at the flat, Paul is ready to leave. He has a tram to catch, and Billy begs him to stay or at least say goodbye to everyone. Paul thanks Billy for everything, and then there's a buzzer at the door, and wouldn't you believe it, it's Gemma. Billy leaves him to it, and she says that she doesn't want uh, him to go and needs him to stay for the quads. She loves him, and she lets him know that the wee one is going to be okay after the scan. Right. Which is nice. Yeah, it's still wee, still but wee. it is steadily growing. Yep. They and, all and need Paul him. yells at Gemma's belly, <laughs> telling the other three <laughs> to stop eating so much. Yep. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I thought that was cute. So Gemma says that all the babies need him. Billy's drowning sorrows at the Rovers when Paul comes in. Gemma has emotionally blackmailed him and he's staying, he says. Yes. And his plan is just to stay away from Kel for the time being. Right. And that's how we wrap up the week for that storyline. Yeah, I wasn't happy with the way that was wrapped up. Kind of a nothing way to wrap it up, wasn't right, it? Right, yeah, because we're not seeing Kel get his comeuppance and he might just bugger off I thought for sure Billy had told Gemma about the abuse but now I'm not, not yet. so sure yeah not yet I thought that's why he because it kind of cuts away halfway through their conversation mm-hmm. doesn't it I don't remember <laughs> it was so long ago it was two so, hours ago yes yeah, a lot's happened in the last two hours we've been watching Strictly <laughs> And two episodes of Impossible. I love that show. You're Impossible. So cute. Oh, so good. You're so cute. Yeah, I've got my uh, VPN to start working again so I can oh, see nice. uh, BBC iPlayer. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, this means that this is going to drag on longer. Yeah, of course because it is. Because eventually, eventually, this is all going to come out. I hope. Uh, sooner or later, but that might be... A month from now, or maybe six months from now. Because this this whole idea of, well, I've let it out, kind of, but I'm just going to bottle it back up again and keep my mouth shut. Isn't this how it worked with uh, David and Josh? <sighs> yeah, I suppose. It took forever to get Josh. There's these stages of acceptance and then wanting justice and all that right. sort of stuff. And they, they never seem to happen concurrently. And then the only justice was Josh going blind and being left in an alley. Right. I'm blind. And I'm in an alley. <laughs> that was quite a good ending, I thought. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. But I'm glad that uh, Paul, who Paul has been... Very good. Just exceptionally good Very again good. this week. Yes, he continues to be my favourite gay. <laughs> right. You know, James James almost came up over him. Oh, but not like that. excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it goes Paul, James, Billy. Oh, poor Billy. Sean. Billy's, <laughs> Billy's persistence finally pays off. Although I, know. I could do a less of that. I thought I thought it was lovely. It, it, it's nice. It was but lovely and very supportive. Two weeks worth of it. Again, kind of like with Toya, I kind of wish the show would allow these allow us to see these people actually at their jobs every once in a while. 
Because basically, Billy's just this guy who walks around in a collar. Right. <laughs> calling himself a vicar. And, but we never see him actually do vicary things. No, we see him getting heard for... in the pub quite often, though. Right. <laughs> the closest we get is, you know, when he was doing some of that outreach work. But we never see him in a church. Do you think Benny's going to eat some Does humble any... pie about this? Uh, she is going... It, she, she is not going to believe Paul. No, she's an appalling character. She's... She, I, I don't mean an appalling character in terms of... Absolutely the worst. Her personality is just dreadful. The worst. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the worst. And this is how I felt she was when she came in, but then she became this kind of new agey type hippie sort of... Right, yeah. All of a sudden that whole new gone, agey stuff has has gone away. Right, she's just gone back now to being the... Now she's just become trash, which is what we expected her to be to begin with as Gemma and Paul's mum. So actually I'm kind of happy that she's back to being trash because trash makes sense more right. than... A woman who names her twins Gemini and Apollo. Right. Because remember, that's really Gemma and Paul's oh, names. How could I forget? Gemini and Apollo. I have that tattooed actually on the side <laughs> of my arm. Our next storyline tonight <sighs> is Weird Jade. Mm. Yeah, just, I'm. Just on Monday for this. Well, no, and then tonight. I'd have to put that on another storyline. Because it kind of fitted with the Gary stuff more than it fitted with this stuff. Yeah. But it was weird tonight. On Monday at Fizzy's, Jade is in the living room rooting around in a sideboard that I don't recall ever seeing before. She finds some mail in there and takes a photo of it on her phone just as Fizz and Tyrone come in, thrilled that Jade has made breakfast and tidied up and all that. Then Evelyn's up. What's this, she says. Ty points out that Jade has made a breakfast. Continental, like the tyres, she says. What, rubbery? asks Evelyn. Zing! <laughs> Jade tries to ingratiate herself by getting Evelyn's tea order right. Evelyn is curious how they can afford this living nanny, and Fizz reveals that she might take Gary up on his offer at the furniture thing. And in the pub, Evelyn is complaining that Jade's breakfast has disagreed with her. <laughs> Fizz came in, comes in to confirm that she got the job at Gary's, and there's a lovely moment when Maria offers to go get the drinks in. Evelyn is about to tell her what she wants, but Maria already knows it's a double brandy. Absolutely. <laughs> I loved that. Later still, Evelyn reveals her concerns about we hope spending time with a stranger. Ty trusts Fizzy's judgement and Evelyn downs a drink and leaves and she sneaks quietly back into the house and once again finds Jade ruffling through the mail on the sideboard. What the actual is going on here? asks Evelyn. Oh, it's not what you think, says Jade, and she claims she was just looking for photos. Evelyn isn't buying it, but Jade says that she thought it would give her insight. They're sharing a bathroom, says Evelyn. What more insight do you need? <laughs> Thinking on her feet, Jade claims that she was looking for a good family photo to get blown up, to help everyone remind themselves of family. Jade talks about her plans for marriage herself, but her guy wasn't very nice, and she's still living through it now. And I'm shocked to see that Evelyn seems to be falling for this shite. Then yeah. Evelyn and Jade have a wee heart-to-heart about her fella and the disappointment that he wasn't what he said he was, and she was ashamed to be a victim. Evelyn doesn't know why anyone these days would get married. It's a fine line, she says, between love and hate. She says she liked her husband well enough. Well, before he died, that was. Correct. Jade says that without Fizz, she'd never had the courage to leave. Did we know this before? Is this new information? That Fizz helped Jade to leave or lose her of a fiancé or is this, this bullshit? seems like new information, but Fizz kind of confirms it later on. 
So this seems to be why Fizz was on the phone with Jade so much. Because Jade had a job in Birmingham. Right, at the school. As a teacher's assistant. Right. And she's packed all that in to move to Manchester and live with Fizz and Tyrone and look after Hope. It's what we're asked to believe. Yeah. Hmm. And she's only a teacher's assistant, so how can she be certified to... Even teaching the home. And again, Fizz... There's something very, very fishy going on here. Yeah, Fizz comes in and sees Jade upset and assumes this was Evelyn's doing, but Jade is quick to put the record straight, leaving Fizz surprised that she's telling people about her ex. So yeah, so so it is true, but... Well... Something's true. It's true as far as Fizz knows. Let's put it that way. Okay. Fizz, Evelyn, Jade and the girls are at the bistro. They want ice cream and Jade offers to pay. In fact, why don't Evelyn and Fizz head home and she'll look after Ho- Hoop? Hoop. Hope and Ruby. Evelyn is on her feet and out the door before Jade's even <laughs> finished talking and Fizz follows at the back. And when Fizz is gone, Jade promises the girls three scoops of ice cream instead of the one that Fizz was just going to give them, right. providing they don't tell Mummy. Hmm. hmm. And then there's some stuff later on in the week, so will we save that for that point to talk about where this is going, or do you want to talk about it now? Let's talk about it now, because we'll be talking about stupid, stupid Gary when we talk about the other stuff. (laughs) I don't like this at all. I didn't like it last week. I I actually hate it this week. Yeah. because I I don't know what what she's serving here. Because as as you pointed out, it's kind of derivative of single white female yeah and and other sort of and i was really hoping that we were kind of in this day and age backing away from this kind of trope of the crazy boil your bunny kind of weird female who wants to take over another woman's life mm, apparently not storyline because she's trying to get the girls on side right she's been secretive with them she's trying she's conning Evelyn unless Evelyn is just pretending to be conned I see that's what I'm thinking I don't think Evelyn is I don't think she's the sort of person that's going to fall for this yeah she's it's going to take an awful lot to pull the wool over her eyes I think she's she's onto this or she's just telling Jade what she wants right Jade she's to feeding hear. her some rope so she can hang herself right I hope that's what's happening because yeah. that would be completely Evelyn right to have her just fall for this one thanks to a breakfast and a little chat about an ex-boyfriend right, or whatever. it's not really the breakfast i think it's it's the idea of the lousy the lousy man and stuff because that's what happened to her to tyrone's mom mm-hmm. was you know a lousy no good guy sort of thing so it kind of feels like because i was really surprised that evelyn didn't snap back well the pictures are over here so you can Stay out of that drawer from now on and sort of, I don't know. And it's very easy to fool Tyrone, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it just all seems quite strange. It's a very sudden development to introduce a character like this who instantly kind of marks himself as being a wrong and, and having ulterior motives. Yeah. The day that she's introduced into the whole show, like last week, yeah. and then you have this this week. Hmm. To just compound that, like, what's she doing? What's she looking for through the sideboard? It looked like she was going through mail. So what mail is she looking for? Like bills and stuff that might have account bank account numbers. 
Social security numbers. Well, not social security numbers. National insurance numbers. Yeah, national insurance numbers. That sort of thing. Information that might help her to open bank accounts in Fizz's name or well, steal Fizz's identity. But Jesus, she doesn't let the grass grow under her feet very long, does she? She's just right. she's just there and this is what she's right. doing already. But we also have to remember that she was with Hope and Fizz for like six months. So it's frustrating for us because we're just being now introduced to her. But this could be a long con. This is... Already a long con before we even get introduced to the character. Right. We still don't know if it is a con or not. We, we assume it is. Just because she's so... Crazy? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, I mean, maybe not like a con con, but like a... I'm going to take over your life and your man and your children and your mother-in-law. Or your grandmother-in-law. Yeah. I, I'm Evelyn. constantly thinking that Evelyn is Tyrone's mum still. Yeah. She probably is. She might as well be. <laughs> Our next storyline tonight is Kevin Sophie. Aww. On Monday, Alia brings round some of Sophie's stuff ahead of her starting back up at uni, offering her a job back whenever she wants it. Paula comes round with a special present for Sophie. Nice. It's her hole. Oh no, no. it's a bag and a laptop or something. Also, Paula has put uh, uh, an offer on Claudia's flat, so isn't that exciting, Helen? Yes. Kev is texting that woman that he's supposed to be meeting and some uh, as someone that Sophie is very suspicious of because she seems too keen and has changed her name from Michelle to Martine. She That's wants to weird. meet somewhere more fancy than the pub, she says. And Sophie's first yeah. day has gone well and she meets up with Kev and the Rovers. He's proud that she's sent such a good example to Jack. Then Sophie checks out some of the photos that someone has posted on Facebook or whatever oh, and looks jealous of vacation photographs. Yeah. And later in Roy's roles, Dev has been a wanker talking to Sophie about business. And when Roy asks Dev if he wants mayo, he? he makes the international wanker motion trying to shake out the mayonnaise. Yeah, yes, he but is. Then, but then, he, but He's then, been a total wanker. But then, you know, Roy is also, you know, talking to her about oh, he business theory well. and stuff. So, I, they're both being wankers. I don't. I. But Dev more so. But I think. <laughs> Yes. I don't think they're intentionally being wankers. I think they're just being oh, Dev's old Dev. men who who think that they know everything. I have some experience with that sort of thing. Dev mentions a theory. Oh no, Roy mentions a theory that no one's ever heard of. Uh, the what theory? Asks Sophie. And after Dev's gone, Roy tells Sophie that there's a ph- philosophical school of thought these days in business. Nudge and question and take people on cultural journeys, he says. And Sophie looks well confused. Remember, Sophie was the one who was sitting in uh, in the bistro a few weeks ago, pointing out all the different things that the bistro should be doing to improve their uh, business practices. Correct. But now she has no idea about business. Well, it's, she has no idea about business theory and some of the technical and academic and philosophical stuff. And I can understand that because there's there's common sense knowledge and then there's academic knowledge. And you kind of need a little bit from both columns. Kev gets home and sees Sophie fucking around on the internet. He tells her she's skiving off, but she doesn't know if this is for her. But Kev says that she takes after her mum in that regard, whatever that means. 
Kev out of the blue tells Sophie that he needs to change his will to mention Jack and she promises that she'd take care of him anyway. It's her brother after all. Absolutely. Then on Wednesday, Kev's phone's been buzzing away good style. He's apparently meeting up with this Martine at lunchtime. Sophie advises him against having a spanner in his pocket for some reason, which affords Kev the opportunity to observe, well, at least she'll know that he's pleased to see her. But I'm pumptish. And Sophie says, Cool. Ew. Kev's at work and he gets grilled about his date from Fizz and Abby. And Kev gives him a little bit of information about her, but apparently she's a bit of a bombshell. Then everyone starts singing va, 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 the K-I-S-S-I-N-G song up. Yes. Do you have that song here? Because we're all five-year-olds. Yes. Da-da and da-da, sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes broomy and <laughs> baby carriage. Second, broomy, you. Second is thumb, wetness, pants, doing the dirty diaper dance. Yes. Well, that's got an extra bit. <laughs> Which part is extra? Which part is new to you? Everything after carriage. <laughs> you mean the sucking in, the, the thumb sucking and stuff? I guess that's Steli home. Yes. Bork, bork, bork. Steli is home for Borker King. <laughs> Abby's working on the car. For, oh, that was good as well. So Abby's that was great. underneath the car and Ty goes, Abby, and she pushes herself out. Yes. <laughs> I tried to get a sniff of that, but every time her face was just contorted in her right. sort of goofy look, so I kind of skipped over that. Uh, he asks her if she has the keys to the pickup, and she doesn't, and thinks Kev has them. Ty asks Abby to go get them from Kev, who's at the bistro on his date. Abby doesn't appreciate being Tyrone's gopher, but admits to being curious as to what Kev's date looks like. And this piques Tyrone's interest too, and they decide to arm wrestle to see who gets to go and, and I love this. at Kev in the pub. I love this. But it turns out Abby is fucking awesome at arm wrestling. Yes. And wins easily. And Ty That's what is the not. prison. That's what the prison does to you. That was great. I loved that bit. Yeah, I thought they should have made a more of that. It was... Just a kind of one and done sort of... Right, yeah, but just the look on Abby's face, like, this is not even remotely hard for me. Yeah, we started. <laughs> the bistro... Oh, dear. Poor Kev. He's been stood up when Abby comes in to get the keys Aww. and asks her for Martine. Kev explains and Abby calls her a dozy cow for treating Kev this way. Poor Kev is somewhat crestfallen by this and Abby has... Uh, she has a wee look on her face as she leaves. No. She does a wee bit. A woman comes into the garage looking for Kev and Abby tells her to stop messing Kev about and threatens to slap her. Because she's assuming that this is a woman. Right, yeah, because, uh, yeah, and and again, we've been down this road before on this show. It's so boring. Stop (laughs) it. Stop doing this. It it has been done before, but it was nice to see Abby fighting Kev's corner a little bit. Yeah, but... you know from the very beginning that that's not no, of course. Woman. No, because we've watched the show and we know who it is. Well, I've watched the show. Yeah. Because she hasn't changed a bit. She's a little bit older, but it's totally... Debbie, it's Kev's sister. Woohoo! Which Kev confirms when he comes in. Yes. It, has her hair always been that short? Yeah, it was short. Huh. Uh-huh. It suits her face. It does. Yeah. This whole thing with Debbie being back has been such a nostalgia trip. It's like... She was never in it for that long. Right. But I love how she's... She just slots straight back into the street. Right, absolutely. Like she's never been away. Like she's never left. 
and she has little looks round about as if she's mm. taken it in, which is exactly what you do if you right. go back to someplace after a long time away. Yeah. Like going back you, to Scotland. You observe like, all the little differences. Oh, is that, is that, is that uh, mailbox always been there? And <laughs> have these pavements always been so narrow? Every Christmas. Every Christmas yeah. I'm, I'm looking around as we're driving into Connecticut saying, right. oh, that's, that's different. That's new. That's slightly that's different. new. And she's in the the rovers later, and she's just looking, saying, "No, this hasn't changed." Hasn't changed a bit. So Kev and Debbie are back home. Debbie is off uh, the opinion, like me, that Abby has the hots for Kev. Sophie is thrilled to see Auntie Debbie, who is surprised to learn that Sophie is a lady lesbian. But Debbie has some bad news for them both. Well, I don't think she's surprised that she's a lesbian. I think she's surprised that she's in a relationship with an older woman. I think she's surprised at both. Debbie announces that poor Auntie Vi has died aged 97. Aww. Kev thinks she was an old bag who never got on with anyone. But there's a will reading coming up uh, that Debbie's going to go and attend. And Debbie asks to stay with Kev until after the funeral. And then off she fucks to the will reading. And she meets up with Kev in the rovers later. The reading was done in 10 minutes apparently. She asks if Kev is bored with Corey and working in the same place. And he says he must be an underachiever, but she calls him a hard-working uh, guy, a salter there, sort of dude. Absolutely. Kev asks how the will reading went, and uh, she says, Vi left everything to her. Oh, how much? 200,000. And then Kev chokes on a peanut. <laughs> and later, I have an auntie Vi. Is she worth 200,000? No. No. <laughs> Well, she might be. I don't know. Then later, Kev's recovered, and Johnny. Johnny seems to be very concerned that he's going to get sued here. But um, Kev recovers anyway. He can't believe Vi was that wealthy. Debbie has decided that she's independently wealthy. Anyway, she's got this business going on in Turkey or whatever. Right. She doesn't need the money because her business is so successful, and she's going to give it all away. Kev thinks that she's mad. Who's she going to give it to? You, you says you Debbie. Dumpty. And Kev chokes on another peanut. Yes. And on Friday. Debbie has brought uh, Kev a baking sandwich and wants to talk about the money again, but Kev is still refusing and doesn't want to talk about it. Sophie, who has just had some encouragement from Paul about her first assignment at college, wants to know what they're arguing about, and Debbie reveals that her stubborn dad is refusing to take £200,000 off her. Hwa-hwa-hwa? asks Sophie. Uh-huh. Just think about what that money could do for him and Jack, says Sophie. It could solve problems or create more, says Kev. Being on Easy Street isn't always for the best. Easy Street. And Debbie tells Sophie to try and talk some sense into their dad, but Sophie thinks that she should res- respect Kev's decision. Yous are fucking lunatics, says Debbie, and she flounces off. Then she's later, not wrong. And speed to hell, Sophie gets a call from Paula to make sure she's handed in her essay. Mm. Uh, Paula being motherly. And mm. Paula being more into Sophie being in school than than sophie is right yeah yikes uh yeah so she's looking very pregnant i'm i'm glad that she's going to be she's going on on leave soon carrying sandwich boards around her midriff but i mean it's not it's not even you know her belly like or the faces her face and just her overall she looks very pregnant, and that's a good thing, and I'm happy for her. But <laughs> right. it's, just... it's like it's like when Fizz was pregnant. Remember, it just all of a sudden you looked at her and said, "Oh my God, she really is pregnant." Yeah, that baby was hanging out of her by the time she left. <laughs> <laughs> she kept on having to put her hand on her back every time she was sitting down. Right. So Debbie asks uh, Sophie what course she's doing, business management, and Debbie knows that Sophie is bored out of her tits. Debbie thinks Sophie wants more from life. 
but that doesn't make structure, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. In the Rovers, Debbie asks if Sophie is happy or just drifting along. Uh, don't end up like Kev, she says. He wouldn't have a clue what to do with that money, and neither would Sophie, says Debbie, rather confrontationally, I thought. Mm. She's forcing them into changing right, their minds. Yeah. Isn't Back home, Kev and Sophie are on the comfiest looking couch in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> Sophie has changed her tune. She says that a Kev should accept the money and quit being so proud. Debbie comes downstairs and it turns out Kev has suddenly changed his tune as well. He's going to split the money equally between his kids. And Sophie is dead made up in that. Yes. Because this is going to give Sophie... Money to escape. (laughs) Right. And have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And then come back nine months later. Yes. It was just, like I said, it was just so good to get Debbie back. Right. And uh, I've just... I I understand from what I've read that she's not... She's not a permanent addition to the to the cast no but, but what an impact it was just so good to see her and those episodes with abby underneath the car and the uh-huh. arm wrestling and all the kev stuff right and i just thought this was a fantastic feel-good yeah storyline was a little week. sad that his date never showed up but she was never gonna show up was no, she no of course not so yeah so this is nice to see that uh Kev's going to have some financial security because apparently, remember, not so long ago, the garage was in bad shape financially and he was chasing after Tim to get money from the the cab firm and all that. Right, and he needed money for Jack's special camp. Whatever that was. For kids in wheelchairs and a better wheelchair and all this other stuff. So So that's going to sort that out. Plus it's going to give Sophie an exit to wherever. Right. The only question is, do you think Paul is going to go with her? No. If, if Paul is buying this Claudia flat, which is above the Barbers, I believe. Yes. I think. I don't know. Is it? I it's thought it was. in that area, maybe. If she's going to buy that, that would kind of suggest that she's not going to leave. No. And she's got a business. She's She's got... Ah, she's independently wealthy, though, isn't she? Yeah. Does she need to work... I but think she's wealthy because she's a solicitor. I hope that Paula stays in because I like her, but this would mean probably the end for Paula and Sophie, which would be a shame. Yeah. We'll see. Although the way that relationship's going now is yeah, a little not creepy. Good. <laughs> the whole make sure you've gotten your homework done, dear, and yep. all this other stuff. Yeah. Our next storyline tonight is nailing Gary, but not like that. Oh, thank God. On Monday... Imran's going through the invoices on a laptop from the 1980s. There's a payment for a private investigator called Jeremy something. What's that about, he says, and Adam makes up a story about a new divorce case, but Imran sees through this clever ruse and knows it's about Gary Windass. Adam is sure Gary's up to something, and if the last guy wasn't such a fucking asshole, they'd have some results by now, but he promises to call it off. Then Imran points out that Adam should be at the airport picking up Sarah. Oh, pig's tit, says Adam. ruh And off he trots. So Adam grabs Ryan outside Vicky Court Flats and offers Ryan some cash for information that will lead to Gary getting his comeuppance. And Ryan isn't too interested in providing this. No. Later at home, Sarah's going through all the prezzies that she's got for everyone, including something special for Adam later. It's a butt plug. No, it's not. (laughs) It's probably lingerie for her to wear for him. That could be a butt plug. Sarah wonders why Adam was late. Just because I brought you one back the last time I went away. You did not. Doesn't mean that. You never get me presents. Adam was late. (laughs) Explains about talking to Ryan about his mugging and bringing those responsible to justice. And Sarah instantly knows that Adam knows who did it. 
Maria drops in. Oh god, I've got Maria drops in on Maria and Ali. Maria drops in on. Sarah drops in on Maria and Sarah Ali. Sarah drops in on Maria and Ali, asking if they know anything about the fight between Gary and Ryan. That's correct. Gary, Maria, and Ali are both taken aback. In comes Ryan, and Adam comes over asking about Gary. Ryan again sticks to his story and then accuses Adam of offering him money to say it was Gary. And Sarah is shocked. Shocked, I tells you. Yes, even though she knows it was Gary, and she also knows that Gary is bad news, and is like the only person on the street besides Adam who knows this to be true. (laughs) And Gary. Gary knows he's bad news. Adam asks if Ryan is that scared of Gary, but Ryan runs away, kind of suggesting that maybe he is. (laughs) He insists that Ryan is lying, but Sarah isn't convinced and she storms off too. In the furniture place, Fizz is talking to Gary about signage when Ryan comes in looking like shite and Gary quickly gives Fizz an early mark. Ryan fills Gary in on the confrontation at the Rovers, tells him who was there, tells him that Adam offered a bribe and Gary is very interested in learning this. Back home, Adam apologises and Sarah's sick of hearing it. She calls Adam obsessed, but then they admit to missing each other. He hasn't stopped thinking about her and getting his hole, so they go upstairs uh-huh. and that's and what they do. Yes. And then gets to use that. Gary accidentally but deliberately bumps into this isn't going to be the tangent of the week what butt plugs I'm not I'm not putting a photograph on Twitter of a butt plug <laughs> Gary accidentally but deliberately bumps into Maria he asks if there's a rumour going around that he beat up Ryan it's all just someone flinging mud he says all he's doing is trying to look after his kids and this is all it takes to appease Maria then fresh from getting her hole Adam and Sarah come back downstairs and Sarah Sarah's choice of post-coital conversation is Adam's obsession with Gary. He says Gary is continually getting away with, with bad things, but Sarah points out that they're not the justice system for Gary Windass, which is correct. Sinead and Daniel are what they should be focusing on, and Gary has nothing to do with them, and Adam agrees. <sighs> then on Wednesday, Maria's at Dev's and joins a long and illustrious list of customers who either don't have their money on them or whose cards are declined, and then comes Gary to the rescue and agrees to pay on her behalf. Def thinks it's great that Gary was so chivalrous to a beautiful woman. Maria drops into the furniture thing to repay, to repay Gary and offers to look after Jake while he's at work. Right, because Jake is being obnoxious sitting on the desk and spinning around in, in Gary's chair that right. Gary never sits in. Jake is keen on this and Gary looks perplexed that someone would be so nice to him. And Gary picks up Jake later uh, and then he and Maria continue to flutter a little bit and this is overseen no. by Sarah. Blech. Later Sarah approaches Maria and despite saying that she's not the jealous ex or anything, totally comes across as a jealous ex when she asks about Maria and Gary. Maria insists that she was just helping Gary out and returning a favour. Right, because she's with Ali. Let's all remember this. Gary doesn't seem to remember this, even though... But there's definitely flirtage going on. I think there's flirtage going on on Gary's side. I don't necessarily think it's really going on on Maria's side because Maria seems quite happy with Ali. It was a little bit playing with the hair going on. Yeah, but I think that was just... I, I don't think that she's genuinely interested in Gary. On Friday. Gary's gross. <laughs> He's got that hair, though. Which is gross. <laughs> on Friday, a woman is looking at clogs. And a, and a and an antique pistol, which should not be in a furniture shop. <laughs> Gary tells Fizz things are a bit slow, but things are going to be fine. And Fizz has some ideas to improve the business. Uh, she wants to do some upselling and stuff. Upcycling. And Gary tells upselling. her to knock herself out. Then comes Maria to return Jake's jumper. 
And later Fizz has good news for Gary, she's sold a 90 quid lamp and she's secured a mega house clearance thing. And she's written all the details in his ledger and he absolutely loses his shit at her, telling her that he, she's overstepped her mark and he's sick of her stupid ideas and she's a pain in the arse and how very dare you. Fizz understandably quits before Gary sacks her. Right, because it's the ledger that he writes all of the people who owe him money in. Right. And because he's upset about this whole house clearing thing because that's not really how he gets the furniture in the shop. <laughs> it's his stupid fault for not having a ledger with him. Just leaving it lying about. Right. What an idiot. Yeah, especially since he's now hired somebody to run the furniture store. Right. Other overs, Fizz has explained the situation to Jade, who approaches Gary at the bar, uh, overhearing him talk about his assistant on the phone, which she assumes is Fizz. And Jade begs that Gary give Fizz another chance, saying it was a heat-of-the-moment thing, but Gary's phone then rings and he steps away. Moments later, he drops a couple of drinks off at Fizzy's table, uh, one for her and one for Jade, uh, and they agree to put the past behind them. And Jade asks if this means that she can stay and not be packed back to Birmingham, and Fizz assumes so. I missed that bit where... Because Fizz has lost this job, now Jade's presence on the street is in question. Yeah, Fizz says to Jade, you know, Fizz tells Jade that she's lost her job and explained about it and everything. And then she said, the sad thing is, is without this job, we're not going to be able to keep you. Right, I missed that bit. And that's why Jade goes How much over. is Gary paying her? I don't know. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. I, it really doesn't. But plot. Our penultimate storyline tonight. Michelle. My bell. Pain in the arse? Just fucking bitch. (laughs) Such a bitch. She's really bitchy this this week. More than usual. You know me, Helen. I'm I'm a lover, not a fighter. Well, sometimes you're a lover. And a fighter. <laughs> I really wanted to punch Michelle in the throat <laughs> this week. <laughs> She's just been so annoying. Gav, you can't hit a I woman. know I can't. I will punch her in the throat for you. Okay. I'm allowed. On Monday. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> On Monday, Ali meets Ryan outside Roy's Rolls and wonders why he never found out about the mugging thing. Ryan didn't want to worry him because of all the... Drug stuff. Drug stuff that everyone seems to have forgotten about. And Ali confirms that he's clean and over this and things are going well with Maria. Then Ali invites Ryan and Alia to lunch or dinner or whatever. And that's all that happens on Monday. Yes. It was very exciting. (laughs) I was thrilled throughout (laughs) that scene. My blood pressure was through the roof. On Monday. Nope. On Wednesday. Wednesday. I just enjoyed Monday so much I wanted to talk about it again. <laughs> On Wednesday, Michelle is doing her ironing ahead of another trip away. God, oh, such another fantastic scene. Oh. She's not enjoying working with Ray and she isn't sure it's worth the hassle anymore. Robert tells her it won't be like that forever and all he wants is for Michelle to be happy and not find out about Irish Tina and the and baby. The baby. <laughs> Alia pops round to visit Ryan and is a bit put out by seeing that Michelle is still at home. I think she was wanting to get her hole. That's absolutely... She says that's why she's there. Give me my hole, she says. <laughs> give me it. Oi, give me your hole. You, drop your pads. She decided to follow... <laughs> just got a flashback there. She decided to follow Robert's what? advice and throw a sickie. 
Anya taunts Michelle about being so boohoo busy and stabbing her in the back and all that, and Michelle advises Anya to wind her fucking neck in before Michelle knocks her block off. Anya has suddenly lost interest in getting her hole and leaves. Thanks for your support, says Michelle, who did absolutely stab Anya in the back. Right, and is absolutely being far too bitchy <laughs> about Alia being there and and everything instead of saying, look, let's just chill. I'll go away so you guys can have sex. Just <laughs> And I'll be back later. Just spray some Febreze about <laughs> after you're done. Ali meets Ryan in the pub and Ryan complains about Michelle. This thing with Michelle and Alia's doing his tits in. Ali doesn't think Michelle was the same with Maria. And Ryan complains that Craig is always at Alia's. <laughs> So he can't have sex because Craig's there. So he hasn't had his hole in yonks. Ryan has had enough and makes a phone call looking for a second opinion. And that second opinion is Robert of all people. So Ryan and Ali are with Robert at the Rovers and Ryan explains about Michelle's cock-blocking tendencies. Robert isn't sure that he's going to be much help, but Ryan thinks there has to be a way that Michelle and Alia can be in the same room without kicking off. Robert thinks that putting on a dinner party for the boys and their girlfriends is the way to go. Uh-huh. Everyone will be on their best behaviour, and later Maria meets the boys in the Rovers, and Ryan invites her Plus to this stupid gives dinner party an idea. To cook. Yeah, because <laughs> Robert never gets to cook. F- this is such bullshit. Because <laughs> I know chefs, and the last thing they want to do when they get home is cook. Is cook. But this is true for any profession. It's like when I worked in a call centre, the last thing I think I want, the last thing I want to do when I get home is answer the phone or right. pick up the phone or speak to anybody right. on the phone. You're still that way. And there's that scene in uh, was it Friends when Rachel's dating a gynecologist. Oh yeah. And he says, "What do you do for a living?" She says, "I oh, work in a coffee shop." Do you ever come home and just think if I see another cup of coffee? <laughs> on Friday, Michelle is being a total pain in the arse She's rushing off to work and wants to cancel the stupid dinner party thing She's got too much on and is too stressed And Robert tells Michelle to tell Ray to start treating her right Or he'll pan his lamps in And Michelle doesn't know what she did to deserve Robert And Robert grabs his collar The Maria's at the furniture place and moans to fizz about having to go at the stupid thing at Michelle's What she a fucking beamer she says stupid, that's how she deserves it <laughs> Maria sees Michelle to tell her that she can't get a babysitter, so Liam's going to have to come tonight to dinner party as well. Michelle is scunnered by this. Oh, Ma- she absolutely overreacts right. and is such a bitch to Maria. Yep. So Maria goes off in a strop. Robert tries to help, but he gets a mouthful of snatch too. Every day is a bad day, says Michelle. Go fuck yourself, Michelle, says everyone watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> and back home, Michelle explains that Ray has gone all Weinstein on her. Uh, to Robert and touched her thigh in that hotel room and stuff. He says that Wearing she a needs. Yeah, he says masturbating into a potted plant. He oh. says that she needs to ditch him, but she points out that he's using the franchise as leverage. I didn't think the franchise was still on the table. Right. Yeah. Plus, Robert doesn't want to franchise the bistro to begin with. So, how is this leverage? Robert thinks that she should just quit. Some things are more important, and Michelle thinks it's blown over. She's barely seen them since it happened, so maybe everything's going to be okay. Right, well, if it's blown over and, and you've barely seen him, then problem, why eh? are you being so bitchy about having to go to work? All the other folk pour into the flat and take over proceedings, and the dinner party is going fairly that's fairly badly, would you say? Hmm. Mich- Ali made carrot soup, and Ryan made a bread pudding. 
Michelle explains to Maria that Ray is a bit handsy. Which they all brought to the rovers before they went in for dinner for some reason. That was weird, sure. wasn't it? Wasn't that weird? Them sitting them up at the bar at the rovers with a container of carrot soup and a casserole dish of bread pudding. Said, Oh, we're just on our way home <laughs> dinner and we just decided to stop here. On our way, crossing the street to have a beer. Two times I've been in a pub and uh, people brought in fish. Which is even worse, let's be fair. (laughs) It was nice fish, though. Smelly fish. Smoked fish from up north. Oh, okay, yeah. Brad smoked trout, yeah. And then my friend Nancy brought an actual whole fish into the pub in New York. That was kind of strange. Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) I do like smoked fish. So the party is going badly. Michelle explains to Maria that Ray is a bit handsy. And without knowing the details, Alia comes over and makes a snide remark that Michelle reacts badly to. Maria reminds her of the girl code. They all need to stick together. Right. Without explaining to Alia why she's enlisting the girl code. Alia and Maria have quickly decamped to the rovers. And Alia tells Maria that Robert was acting well shifty on the phone earlier. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Ryan and Ali are at the bar and Ali goes off to get his wallet that he claims to have left at Robert's. Yeah, because he's on the drugs again. Oh, surely, yeah. Yeah, has to be. remember the yawning before and he's kind of like out oh, of yeah, it yeah. and right. twitchy? He's on the drugs again. On the drugs again. <laughs> Just can't wait to get on the drugs again. <laughs> because Rob... That's what it's like a talk. Because Ryan says, it's all right, I'll pay for these drinks. You don't need to go back for your wallet. No, 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 I have to get my wallet. Yep. And then Ali has money in his back pocket anyway, and he hands cash to Ryan, and none of it makes any sense. But Ali is absolutely on the drugs again. On the drugs again. Then Robert and Michelle have the flat to themselves. And not the good drugs either. Not, Not weed, which is Willie Nelson's drug of choice. Okay, Michelle is off to have a bath because... You act surprised that Willie Nelson smokes marijuana. No, not at all. Michelle's <laughs> off to have a bath because she's not annoying enough as it is, which allows Robert to get on the phone and he leaves a message with a hotel claiming to be Steve McDonald. Why do <laughs> they always pretend to be Why Steve McDonald? Why do always pretend to be Steve? <laughs> I thought that it was ridiculous but also funny and I really... I, can I, imagine, I like this thread of people pretending to be Steve McDonald. I can imagine every time this happens, Steve's just sitting in his flat, just watching TV, and he goes, huh? <laughs> Someone somewhere has just pretended to be me. And applies for is a job. Is it because Steve McDonald is such an easy name yeah, to remember and say? I have a confession. When I go to uh, uh, Starbucks, if I'm on my own, and they ask me what my name is, I'll you just tell Steve them Steve. McDonald's. I just say Steve, yeah. <laughs> because when you say Gavin, they say... Calvin? Calvin or Galvin? Gavin? And and you say, no, Gavin. And they say, Calvin? That's not even a name. (laughs) And if I'm there, I'll say, it's Gavin. But if you're by yourself, yeah, Steve is the way to go. (laughs) So he's applied for a chef's job and asks for his interview to be brought forward. It was nice to see Robert and Michelle back because the the Robert uh, machinations of running this double life, I was finding quite entertaining. (laughs) I have to say, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't see or hear anything as about as Irish as Tina this week, though. Which as is ridiculous as it is, it is making me. It does make me smile. Plus, I like seeing Michelle getting it's fucked just over. So stupid. Yeah. But it's 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 stupid in a good way. It's not stupid in the stupid Gary sort of way. That just it's just 
stupid. But it's stupid. <laughs> well, that's a fantastic description. Stupid, ju- stupid, stupid, you say? But it's stupid and, like, stupid fun. Right. It's stupid fun to see Michelle just completely... Uh, uh, Ali on the drugs again doesn't work for me. No, yeah. Ali on the drugs is not good. But the Robert and his double life with his two ladies... Ali have been a cow to Michelle. I'm enjoying. Yes. Because Ali is always good when she's a cow. Right. To people. And plus, anyone being a cow to Michelle gets a tick. Right, yeah. And Michelle just being such a bitch. Right. You know, because one can argue that Tracy's a bitch. Because she is. You don't have to argue very hard, yeah. But she's a bitch in a way that's smart and funny and cutting and witty. And you like her. But Michelle's just the other kind of bitch that she's just... There's there's nothing to be sympathetic about. No. Because she's so bitchy and so in it for herself and Are we meant to unlikable. like her? I don't think we're meant I don't to like her. I think we're meant we? to like her. I hope not because she's unlikable. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> I don't think I know anyone but, who does. I mean, you're not meant to like Tracy either. But you do in you spite do, of though. yourself because you even though she's killed a guy <laughs> <laughs> and will kill again. Right. You know, she's funny about it. You like the relationship she has with Steve. You like the relationship she has with Amy. She's loyal to a fault with her friends. She and Mary, their their relationship, because they're foils to one another, because one is, one is darkness and one is light. You know, so it's good to see them interact together and stuff. And you don't, you don't really have that with Michelle. Right. She's just awful. Agreed. I think she's always kind of been like that. She's never been a favourite of mine. No. Our final storyline tonight is Asha and Dev. Now, I did a little digging on the skin lightness stuff that's been Asha's story. Mm -hmm. And there was a BBC article that was actually posted this past week saying consumers are being warned to steer clear of skin lightening creams that can act like paint stripper, in inverted commas. The local government association warns that products should be avoided at all costs, in quotes, after recent seizures by trading standard officers. Many contain the bleaching agent hydroquinone, and the creams can also contain mercury. Which is poison. Hydroquinone, described by the LGA as the biological equivalent of paint stripper, can remove the top layer of the skin, increasing the risk of skin cancer and cause fatal liver and kidney damage. And mercury can cause similar life-threatening health problems. And kill you. Unless they are issued on prescription by a doctor, creams containing these things, or steroids, are banned in the UK because of their potential serious side effects. Then, interestingly, on Wikipedia, it says that in Africa... Anywhere between 25 and 80% of women use these products. In Asia, it's around 40%. In India, half of the skincare products sold are to whiten the skin and was worth around $300 million in annual sales in 2013. In the same year, global sales were projected to get to, this year, $19.8 billion. Did you find any statistics for the US? No. Yeah, when when I was trying to look into it and stuff, I couldn't really find very much. No, there wasn't very much on about it, or anything I could find on the US about it being here. Isn't that funny? But yeah, so this is a huge, a huge thing. thing. Yeah, and I applaud Coronation Street for for shedding some light on it. And I also applaud the manner in which the story has been told. 
it's, it's good to shine light on it. Mm-hmm. But the way they've been telling it has been pretty... Yeah. Pretty good as well. Yeah. I mean, there, I, have, I have a few nits, but not very many. And the acting has been phenomenal Absolutely. in the storyline. Absolutely. The acting is just... Again, again, we have a brilliant young actor doing such a great job playing Asha. Yep. It's just... It's great. So on Monday, Ash and Dev seem to be getting on better, but it's only because she wants money out of him for some more makeup. And rather than hand it over, he tells her to start earning it, and he points her in the direction of Prima Donna. And oddly, she doesn't look too furious about this for a change. So Dev introduces Cathy to her new uh, workmate, and Cathy can tell that Asha isn't into this, but agrees to show her the ropes, and Dev is grateful. He knows Asha is going through something, and would appreciate Cathy keeping her eyes open. And Asha is dressed in the kebab uniform, God bless her, her wee hat on. <laughs> yeah. Kathy gets and it's Cathy's th- uniform too, right. so the so shirt's kind of baggy on her. Kathy gets halfway through a story of Brian enjoying her uniform a little too much, and particularly the hat. Brian, mm-hmm. you dirty bastard. Asha hasn't taken off her long sleeve shirt, and Amy and a boy from school, who I didn't think was Corey, but I think it is Corey. Is that Corey? I think is so. Is that Corey Corey? I thought Corey Corey. I think Corey Corey. I think like- it's Corey Corey. <laughs> yeah, because they have that conversation. Right. And he starts flirting with Asha as he orders his kebab with everything on. Later, Corey asks if Asha wants to do something after rehearsal tomorrow, and he tells her that he'll message her. Then he leaves with his friends who look like the male cast of Grease. Asha's home looking for her wages, and Dev points out that they get paid weekly as he sits counting his money. He heads off to the bank, but he leaves his wallet, because of course he does, and Asha grabs his credit card and looks to order something on her phone, presumably more makeup. On Wednesday, Asha catches Dev opening an envelope and instantly thinks it's her skin cream, but it's not. It's something worse. It's Dev's new nose trimmer, which apparently is better Ew. than Steve McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Steve does not show up at all this week. Mentioned twice. <laughs> right. Asha heads off to school, leaving Dev to smugly think about trimming his nose hairs. Later, Dev decides to tell Maria that he got a text from Asha saying that she's going out on a date with a boy after school. Dev thinks that she's too young, but Maria says it's just a date and at least she's been honest about it. Then Dev asks Sophie when she first started dating boys. And Sophie says, boys? Before I turn to the dark side, you mean, asks Sophie. Still not really hearing what he wants to hear from anyone, Dev then resorts to phoning Mary. So Asha bumps into Mary, who asks what happened to Addy, and it seems that Addy got detention from Mr Collins for writing something impolite about Collins on the whiteboard. Yeah. Mary inquires what it is, and uh, Asha whispers it into her ear, and Mary is stunned. She didn't think Wombles had them. Well, how do you think Wombles breed, Mary? When a male Womble and a female Womble, who love each other very much, decide to have baby Wombles, the male Womble puts his hoo-ha in the female's cha-cha. Of course he does. Why it's wouldn't a Womble. He? Huh? What's a womble? You don't know what a womble is? No. Underground, overground, womble and free? The wombles no. of Wimbledon Common are we? No. Oh my god. It was narrated by Bernard Cribbins. You're going to tell me you don't know who that is either. That's correct. <laughs> is this one of those spooky children's shows that it you showed spooky. me? It wasn't spooky. It wasn't yeah, spooky. Is this one it of those children's delightful. shows that you showed me like a few years ago? Because there was that one with the creepy guy in the garden. Yeah, Mr. Nosybunk. I don't from know who Jigsaw. that is. Nope. Do you remember the show Jigsaw? Mm, vaguely. You're the one who introduced me to this. I have no memory of doing that. It was either you or Ian. It might have been Ian uh, Finley. Well, yeah, I don't think it was me. It was a show from 1979 to 1984, Jigsaw. 
I couldn't tell you anything about it, but it rings a bell. Yeah. And Mr. Nosy Bonk with the guy in like the white mask with a very long nose. Which has little nothing to do with the Wombles. Right. But it's it's another British children's show. I think you have shown me the Wombles. The Wombles are great. Yeah. So inside, Dev and Mary are talking to Asha, who's in a hurry to get changed to go out. Dev so hard to make a tangent that wasn't butt plugs. Needs to talk about her. Uh, Dev needs to talk to her about boys. Asha knows we've got plenty of tangents to, to pick from. Asha knows this is a sex talk, and Mary confirms that Dev is concerned that she's about to engage in the beast with two backs with this bloke, and she promises not to engage in this. Corey, and, Corey. and already knows where babies come from. Mary thought it went well. Yeah. And later, Asha's set to leave. She'll be back around midnight, she says, which I thought was quite late. Yeah. Dave, yeah, Dave absently remarks that he's lost a credit card. Then Dave and Mary talk about Sting's back catalogue, but not like that. Which is funny because if, if there's one thing we know about Sting is that he's quite good at the sex. Well, I think Trudy's really there to judge that, isn't she? <laughs> well, he can go a long time. Yeah. <sighs> Tantric sex. He's really into the tantric sex. Just imagine Trudy bored out her gourd for like hours on end. (laughs) Asha is on her date at Speed Dial. She doesn't know why he asked her out. Or she doesn't know why he asked her out. She thought that he fancied Amy or this pastel blue character. He says he wouldn't have asked her out if that was the case and then goes off for a piss. So Corey, Corey and Asha are continuing to flirt and they're about to kiss when he hits her arm accidentally and she starts to bleed. No, he spills a drink. Well, I thought he clipped her arm or something. Well, the drink spills and, you know, because her sweater is all wet and stuff and he's trying to clean it up and he apologizes to Alia because he spilled the drink. He he goes, he leans in to kiss her and oh, spills the drink. So why did she start bleeding then? I don't know. I think maybe she was already bleeding already and because it it, it wet the sweater that the blood was coming through or something or that the cup knocked into her arm when it spilled. I don't know. So this is enough to make Asha want to bring the date to an end and go home. So Cory Cory chases after Asha, apologising about what happened. He thought that she liked him and she admits that she does, but isn't sure she can see him again and he sulks off. She pulls her keys from her back pocket, which also brings out Dev's credit card, which falls to the ground, and Mary then finds and knows that Asha stole it. Dev gets home and demands a word with Asha. He shows her the credit card that fell out of her pocket. He demands an explanation. He's checked the transactions and knows it was her that stole it. He tells her that she's using too much makeup anyway and she's going to send it back whenever it arrives, whoever it is, and she's grounded until he can trust her again. Then on Friday, Asha seems to be making some lemon meth in her bedroom or whatever, following some instructions on her laptop. Then comes Dev asking to know what she's up to and doesn't believe her lies. He wants her home from school right away. Fuck Bugsy Malone, he says. And later no, in the show, don't. Mary isn't happy that Dev has grounded Asha from Bugsy. She calls it an overreaction. Think of the bigger picture. It was Dev's idea for Asha to be in the show to boost her confidence. Grounding her for the credit card thing is going to destroy that. And Gemma is there, wafting her boobs with a reduction explosion, saying unhelpful things. Mm-hmm. And the most artistic director, artistic director, still has his jumper tied around his neck, but he yes. doesn't, still doesn't have glasses on the string. Though, right, but he's wearing pink pants. Pastels, yeah. Yes. Asha must have got the message as she's there with Cory Cory. Mary is the stage manager because we've run out of characters and extras. Right, and because she actually looks quite fetching in, in all black <laughs> right. because all of a sudden she's a beatnik. Yep. Asha is grateful to Mary, which is the least Mary could have done after grassing her up. Cory Cory asks Asha out again at some point and Asha is well into this. 
And then who I describe as some blonde girl confronts Asha for stealing her boy away from her. That's pastel blue. Yeah. Asha immediately uh, offers to back off, but the girl has a bee in her bonnet and announces that she wouldn't be interested in him now anyway, now that he likes her ugly mush. Mary breaks it up and Asha insists that she's okay and then pastel blue shoots Asha with a squirt gun. But it's not a squirt gun, is it? Well, it's a splodge gun from Bugsy Malone. Right, but what goes on, what goes all over Asha is not water. No, it looks like elephant semen. Yeah, it's like slime or something. Mm. So Mary checks that Asha's okay, but Asha wants to quit the play. Oh, that rhymes. Asha says that she's rank and disgusting and she knows what she is and there's nothing Mary can do to change her mind. So Mary goes into the store and explains what happened at rehearsals to Dev and how Asha has very low self-esteem. Dev thinks this isn't like Asha at all. Well, neither is stealing, says Mary. And Mary says that she's really worried about her. Yes. So Dev goes into Asha's room with a package for her. He explains about Mary's concern and his own concern, and he notices that she can't take her eyes off the package. He knows something is in it, but she says it's none of his business, and he says, well, actually it is because you paid... I paid for it. Yeah. So he opens it and he finds a skin lightning cream, and he asks to see her arm, and she shows a severely burnt bit of skin. What have you done? Dev asks. He says he doesn't understand. He wants to know if she's been bullied, but she says it's all her choice. She says everyone uses it, everyone in Mumbai. It's like a white girl using fake tan, she says. Mm. And she insists she's proud to be Indian and British, but she wants lighter skin. Right. Dev sees... Yeah, because Dev says, you know, are, are, are you not proud to be... Indian, you know, are you not proud of your of your heritage? And she insists that she is, and she was believable when she said that she was. She is yeah, proud, and she's proud, proud to be British. But I'm also proud to be British, and mm-hmm. so I want to look more British, I guess. Dev sees that she's got posters of Bollywood stars around the room, and he calls their portrayal and uh, how they look in these images to be fake and photoshopped, and he tears the posters down from the wall. He says, this ends now. Then Mary pops round to see how Dev got on and he explains, and Mary is none the wiser. She didn't know that this, this was a thing. Dev says that she wants to look pale like the movie stars. Dev blames himself, thinking taking her to India would have given her something good and real, but uh, it's just put her with people obsessed with how they look, and he breaks down. And yeah, Mary admits that, that was heartbreaking. Mary admits that she doesn't know much about this and goes upstairs to speak with Asha. And then she goes upstairs and she calls on Dev and he runs up and it looks like Asha has somehow managed to run away. And run away she has, but only as far as Amy's. She wants to disappear and she asks Amy for cash, but she doesn't have any. And then Liz comes home and it seems that Amy has kind of dobbed. <laughs> Amy's dobbed Asha and well done, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what a good friend. Right. And of all of the adults on the street to call for help, I think Liz is the right choice. I would agree. I'm not sure why. No, <laughs> that's that's exactly how I was like. Why? Why is Asha listening to Liz? Why? Why does Asha come closer when Liz says to come closer? Right. Well, she's just a grandmotherly type figure, I think. Right, but she's like the cool grandma. She's not the milk and cookies grandma. No, she's, she's the, the leopard grandma skin. in hot pants. <laughs> so Amy leaves Liz and Asha to talk. Liz explains that her friends and her dad mean well, and they love her. And Liz knows that Dev is on her side and Asha realises that she's all that he's got and he's all that she's got. She misses her mum and hopes that she wouldn't be ashamed of her and Liz insists that she'd be proud, just as proud as Dev is. Right. Then Liz drops in to see Dev. She says that she spoke with Asha and wonders why he trashed her bedroom. And she advises talking to her 
but also listening, hear what she has to say. And this is fantastic advice. advice from Liz. So Asha comes home and Dev apologises for what happened. He asks her to talk to him and promises to try to understand. Asha says that she feels horrible and ugly and disgusting and Dev doesn't understand. And dirty and all these other things. <laughs> yeah, and... Which is, none of which is true. And poor Dev is just like, no, you're not. You're beautiful. And Asha just... But, but all Dev can see is his beautiful daughter. Right. Regardless of what she looks like. Right. And regardless of what she feels she looks like. Right, yeah. So has... He's not seeing that she's she's got these self-esteem problems that, right. you know, society has taught her that... Cause, yeah, because as far as Dev's concerned, she's perfect. Right, yeah. And and Dev is, I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm sure that he has come up against discrimination in his life, but it doesn't seem like he quite understands, you know, this young girl's thought no. process about it's, it's like, I have to be, and she says such heartbreaking things and they're heartbreaking because they're kind of true that if she had lighter skin, she'd have more opportunities. Right. And she'd get more jobs, you know, and she wouldn't be passed over for things. Right. And, you know, and and you're listening to it and you're like, ah, this is so heartbreaking and it's so awful that she feels like she has to do this. But in reality, she's right. Her mother would have a better understanding of this than Dave. Absolutely. As as would, you know, even all of these well-meaning white women and and girls who are trying to help out they can't really understand what she's going through either right you know i mean i just remember kind of the look on amy's face last week like what are you talking right, about because to amy she's exotic and look at her perfect skin right and she looks so oh, healthy and right. warm and and Amy, Amy's and Amy kind of can't, pale and Amy can't really understand the the perspective of somebody who's not white, right? So there's there's her dad, who can kind of understand the Indian part, but not the female part. And then there are her friends mm-hmm. and these women who can understand the female part, but not the non-white person right. part. And it's it's heartbreaking she's, that she feels like she has nobody that she can turn to. No, nobody really understands what she's no. going through or what she's saying. And yeah, I suppose the only person on the street who might understand would be Alia or right. or Aggie. And you know, Alia was there. Alia was right there <laughs> during the date and stuff, and seemed really supportive and was giving her the thumbs up for the date and everything but right yeah yasmin would be able to help as well yasmin yeah yasmin would be would have been great in that circumstance if they couldn't have gotten liz yeah asha says that she has to scrub her skin and stay with the sun and her skin is like dirt everyone from (sighs) mumbai to manchester uses the cream and it hurts and it stings but it's worth it the lighter she is, the more successful she'll be. She'll have a better job and a better boyfriend. She knows what beauty is, and she knows that she's not it. And tearfully, Dev tells her that she's his beautiful little girl. And they that's how we be. end this week's episodes. Yeah. And she does seem to... I'm, yeah, I'm just so glad this has come out. Yeah. Because you're right, she does 
She seems to have unburdened herself a little bit. Right. But it seems it seems like this goes beyond just the skin. That there are some self-esteem issues. That there's, kind you of know... The, the body dysmorphia sort of thing where... Yeah. You tell someone who's anorexic that they're not fat. Right. Well, they're not going to listen to you. No. <laughs> so you tell somebody who has these hang-ups about their skin colour and, and, and their their overall appearance and how right. beautiful they are, that they are beautiful, they're not going to listen to you. No. And it's just, it's so horrible because, and see, here's something I don't understand. She's put this stuff on her arms and her arms react really, really badly and they're scarring and they're bubbling mm-hmm. and it's like she's got second degree burns and stuff. We've seen her put this stuff on her face and there's no scarring on her face. It seemed to have some reaction last week. Right, like it, she was reacting like it was stinging. Right. But no, it was it was discoloured as well. And that seems to have gone away. But I'm kind of glad because I don't want her looking like Freddy Krueger. No. No. Because that's not going to help. <laughs> but but still, it's it's odd that there's such a severe reaction on her arms and not anywhere else. And I don't know if that's necessarily realistic or if it's just done kind of for plot sort of thing. I don't know. I think it's there. If, if not exactly, then a kind of metaphor for the damage that she's doing to herself. Right. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think and also, it, how is that lightening your skin? Because you're just getting all these big, red, ugly scars. I think it's when it heals. I think it supposedly heals. Paler. Paler, but it's going to be kind of blotchy as well, isn't it? Right, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not really... Much of an expert. No, <laughs> no, this. neither am I. So I don't know. It's well. it's. Uh, I have been so impressed with Corey and mm-hmm. the uh, acting stakes over the last couple of months right. in particular, and and I'm just so happy to add Asha into this. Right. Into this list, yeah. Tanisha Gore just a, fantastic, a barnstorming. What. You know, and, and not just from the whole uh, skin colour and thing, but with the on the date with Corey Corey, she was just right. adorable and that. And yeah, that was really good. She's fantastic with the Bugsy Malone stuff and she's good with interactions Amy. with Amy are fantastic. Yeah, yeah she's really just completely these, upped her game. All of these youngsters are just coming into their own, and I'm so impressed. Right, bravo, bravo, and old Dave, old Jimmy Harkishin is just when he needs to. Tone it down a little bit, just be 40% dev. How impactful was that? He was. Oh, God. It was bringing me to tears. Yeah, as the distraught dad who's just seen his beautiful daughter just. Scarring herself. Scarring herself and not understand how. Yeah. How gorgeous she is. Oh. He was wonderful. And being ashamed of who she is when. Oh, that just. You could see how stung he was by that. Right. Yeah. And how, and how much of that burden he took upon himself about and feeling so guilty about taking her to India. Right. You know, for all the right reasons and then having all these wrong things yep. turn up. Ugh. We have rambled on, I think, for plenty of time. Okay. So shall we talk about moment of the week? Moment of the week? Uh, Dev. That's got to be. <laughs> it's just Dev and Asha. Yeah. It's a little shame because Paul misses out again this week, but 
I think we've he's got to. We've given it to Paul before, haven't we? We have, yes. And I don't think we've ever we've given it to Dev. We've never given it to Dev. We've certainly never given it to Asha. We've so, never given it to Dev and Asha. So, Dev and Asha. For the last scene, or... For the scene in the bedroom. For the scene in the bedroom. That ends with the ripping of the... I thought that was Yeah, the that's, that's the good scene. Yeah, so that's our... I mean, they're all good scenes. That's our... Moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Ali and Ryan bringing in soup and bread pudding <laughs> to the rovers. I was prefer something with Michelle Michelle ironing, but do you know what? That's fine. <laughs> Ryan and Ali doing those things that you said that they'd done. Bringing in soup and bread pudding into the rovers for no apparent reason. That's a boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this up then? It's 10.44, we're a bit late. So if you'd like to pin your opinions, thoughts, suggestions or cake to us, then this is how you can make that dream a reality. On email, we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and that's how you can leave us a voicemail on Skype or drop a couple of bucks into our virtual tip jar on PayPal. We're at Corey Podcast on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And please, if you've been listening for a while and you haven't done so, feel free to drop into your podcast provider of choice and leave us a review and a rating. It really makes a difference for reasons that I can't go into. Algorithms. (laughs) And stuffs. SEO. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week for a shorter week, maybe a little earlier than usual, for another Talk of the Street. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.